everybody. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. Guys, it's a you big deal. You said that with like very Tim. Uh, Seth intonation. The hey, everybody. Well, thanks. He, he, and I sp- he and I, we spend a lot of time together, as a matter of fact. <laughs> um, he influences my speech. I told you I sit in class and keep saying, uh, mawow. And people Mu-wow. Like, but it's just kind of part yeah. of the vocabulary now. It, well, it, and, and the other word, have I told you about yes, yes to I wanna, go? I want to yeah, start implementing That's my that favorite one. Yeah, yes to go is the best of all of them. But ladies and gentlemen, um, we it, it's it's a a privilege to get to do what we do. This is uh, ab- absolutely true, and we've been doing it for um, it's going on eight years. And uh, before every middle aged white couple of men had their own podcast, we were in this space filling the space ladies and gentlemen with all sorts of nonsense uh so this is our 400th episode and contrary to my expectations upon learning tim's personality tim wants to celebrate and so i know so we're going to celebrate by having a series of interviews with our friends over at the holy post sky and um caitlin and phil christian is also over there we don't know her as well um, and we want to talk about the future of the church in America. We had Sky on for our 200th episode, and we had that conversation. It was interesting to hear him re-listen to that episode and then talk a little bit about you know what we didn't foresee. We did it for 300, too, um, with Bonnie and Shane. Oh, that's right. And Rick, Rick was it Rick McKinley was that no. one, or was that a different one? I forget who the third one was. I don't remember. That's what happened when they, when it's 400. It's a, I mean, that's a what happened. mileage. So... It's not the years, babe. It's a lot the of mileage. mileage. That's it. Come on. Come on. Good quote. Anyway, um, so we're not going to do a lot of self-congratulatory Hey, nonsense, Mike, congratulations. Hey, Tim, congratulations there. to you. And hey, our community, congratulations <laughs> to you. And to the 30 of you who have somehow listened to every freaking episode god bless you and here's and the number for christian we will therapy. now <laughs> yes exactly exactly so um there there's just been so many topics and so many books coming out and so we're kind of churning through revelation slowly which is which is fine but we're going to have a brief <laughs> run of interviews we're interviewing it's fine unless it's all we're interviewing we're yeah dude we what if we get what if we, the rapture happens before we Mike get there oh Mike my goodness revelation yet no no seriously um but so we're going to interview sky and phil and caitlin we've got an interview coming up um with a guy named matthew lynch who wrote a book called flood and fury on old testament violence which is a really great book um and a topic we've circled back you know, to, uh, on many occasions, we're going to talk and I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Her first name is Sheila and they wrote a book called the great sex rescue. Um, and they've been, they've been talking a lot about, um, the Josh Butler stuff. And so she and her, I think it's her daughter wrote a book called she deserves better. Anyway, they're going to come on sometime in May. So it's like, it's chock full of honey goodness, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned. Um, today, though, we want to do just a couple of things. Number one, I wanted to do some shout-outs. I'm way behind on the Patreon thank yous and shout-outs. And so I wanted to say thank you to Steve and Betty and Danielle and Craig and Amanda and Sam and Bob and Sarah and Carissa for coming on to our Patreon team. We have folks that give through tithe.ly. Um, and then we also have folks that give through um, Patreon.com, and you can go to uh, VoxologyPodcast.com uh, for either of those links uh, if you're interested. We are, as always, a 501c3 uh, that is crowdfunded and just super grateful uh, that we get to pay our expenses um, in doing this. And so thank you to all of you who have come on board. Um, I wanted to, to do a quick uh, question from an emailer. Um, she is one of those, I think you've probably listened to most, if not all of them. 
And uh, she said, you haven't read listener questions for a while, so I thought I would supply one. And the issue is never lacking listener <laughs> questions. We have more than we know what to do with. The issue is always the time. So, um, you know, we, this one isn't a super long one. So um, the question I've gotten from folks when I talk about the idea that there may not be a forever conscious torment, hell, if there's not one, then why would anyone become a Christian if there isn't the idea of, you know, eternal conscious torment? When I first heard that, I was shocked. Like avoiding hell is the only reason you came to faith? What happened to falling in love with Jesus and his message? What happened to being set free from the power of sin? Anyway, I would love to have you all discuss how you would answer that question if indeed those who don't follow Christ get some punishment but then cease to exist. Thank you. What a wonderful question. Yeah. So, let, so let's say, let's say just for the sake of argument that everyone gets into the afterlife. I mean, everyone does. The afterlife is coming, whether we wanted it to or not. Um, and let's say that in some, you know, let's use like the language that everyone ultimately is saved. Um, why would you still follow Jesus now? Like that to me is the most interesting question. Yeah. So Tim, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Uh, why don't you start? I am just hearing this and thinking about it in the moment. Well, it's not like I sit it. You sat all morning with and, it over your Cheerios. Yep, and I did research. I did research. <laughs> and well, I, let's yep, talk I about it conversationally. It you want to do it conversationally? You know, I thought we normally do that, but as I'm thinking about it, we must not. Where I just sort of ramble oh, on. Both just ramble on. Yes, let's do it conversation. Let's do it conversationally. So I just said, "Hey, Tim, what do you think?" <laughs> Uh, thing, what I have found with that question is that, and with almost all questions now, is that none of them are isolated to just that simple question. So for me, when I think mm. about um, this idea of hell or you know eternal torment or whatever, and that being the the motivator for people to follow Jesus, I start thinking about everything that Jesus said, what was it that Jesus was inviting everybody into? Was it just oppositional yeah. to eternal torment or was it something right. else? And then I follow that thread. Well, if it, it doesn't seem like he was like trying to scare everybody into the kingdom. So what was it that he was doing and what, and what is this idea of the kingdom here and now? What does that mean? So I would, enter into a much larger conversation where I just keep asking questions like, what is the value on this? What is the value on this? Well, what, is, what did Jesus actually say towards this topic? And then I find it, you know, mm -hmm. even the last episode we had where you were asking um, low TG about sin and uh, we did a little bit of, I asked him, I was like, well, in light of all of this, what is the gospel? Because the gospel yeah. has been so rooted in... Um, sin management and um, salvation from torment. And if it's not those mm. things, then what is the gospel? And that's kind of at the root of her question, right? Is, is it's, if it's not this, then what? Like, where do we go from here? How do we, how do we invite people in and what, why would they even come? And so it's distilling yeah. out what you and what you and Gombus were talking about with the air quality. And you've used that analogy a bunch of times too, with like, a polluted space and a bubble within there that's a non-polluted space. And what does it mean to be a part of that? But then in that, even in that yeah. equation, you have to ask, well, then what is the pollution? What is the, what is it that's causing labored breathing? What is it that, um, and what is mm. the, what is the freedom from that? So I don't not know if that's necessarily an answer. I just reframe the question for myself on all these kind of topics. That makes sense because we're having convers yeah because we're having conversations that's right absolutely that's right that's what we do um i think that uh, first of all pulling the string on things is your way of talking about perpetual curiosity yes. and i love that i love that image and i think it's really beautiful if you want to destroy my sweater um just pull this thread as i walk away 
Is that a is that a movie? Sweet. It's a Weezer reference. Is that a song lyric? Weezer. Oh, is that see? Okay, I knew it was something. I knew it was something. <laughs> um, yeah. So so and, and and it just the fact that this question even comes up shows how drenched the whole uh, you know American evangelical project has been in um, uh, fear and uh, being afraid of things and that is the motivator and that's so you know and and the reason we spend time with gombas talking about very heady things and is is trying to get us out of um a view of the world that uh sees nothing but things to be afraid of everywhere including god uh in instead into a view of the world that sees uh, evidence of hope everywhere and um and, and both are hard. I mean the the fear bit's easier, but you gotta keep that kind of going. Um, because there are new things to be afraid yeah, of all you the time. Boogie, man. The hope thing that yeah, the hope thing, it, it's just so so easy to to give in to cynicism and despair. Word. And I fight that, I fight that um like crazy. As I know you do as well, my young Jedi friend. Um but if someone if someone said, okay, you're gonna be saved anyway, let's let's make it that like you're already yeah. in. Why would you follow Jesus? And my answer would be because I believe it's the best way to be yeah. human. And and I think that the human soul is meant, as we've talked about before, to run on things like forgiveness and humility and generosity and kindness and repentance and um, you know, taking a hard look at ourselves and yes. you know what I mean? I mean, I think that's so, so the vision I, I find in the Bible isn't of, um, uh, Jesus coming to satisfy the angry God. I come seeing, um, this mediator between humanity who is broken and God who is grieving over them the way a parent yeah. would and and is now seeking to put them back together in this new space that's been created through the sacrifice of Jesus and his judgment against yeah. the powers. And so I, I just I look at Jesus and it feels daunting and compelling all at the same time. And it is and it also is very disturbing. I, I was talking to somebody this week when we were talking about the Fox Dominion case. I have people in my family um, who watch Fox News very avidly. And, you know, I'm just asking like, hey, you know, you okay with this? How do you feel about so this? this? Is the Dominion and, voting and machines just... The Dominion voting machines, yes. Yeah. So so there was a lawsuit for $1.6 billion brought against Fox who aired conspiracy theories around 2020 about the Dominion voting machines being, you know, taken over or corrupted or whatever. And it ended up settling this week um, for half that amount. And... Um, and, I, and, and, and so I was talking to somebody uh, who was a therapist. We were not in a therapeutic uh, appointment. We were talking about something else. But she had this you know, great line about how when you look at how Fox processed that, they knew there, there, there are a, there's a trove of documents that say that they knew what they were airing was right. false. But their primary concern was losing an audience. And... Um, and she was making the point, you know, the, the difference between delivering the news versus telling people what they want to hear. And the problem with telling people what they want to hear is that they always want to hear what they've always yeah. heard. And, and that is what that dynamic in Fox and, you know, and Dominion. It, it, yeah, it's exactly the dynamic that plays out in the church. And so... Um, to to be told that there is another way of uh, engaging the story of Jesus and the 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 powerful vision of flourishing presented therein i mean that feels a lot like deconstruction or you know disorientation and that's why that can become very yeah. threatening because we just want to know what we've always been told and um to 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 hear that well, our obedience to Jesus means, and that's why we emphasize rewards in heaven versus that's very, very rarely mentioned. When Jesus talks about storing up in heaven, he's not talking about 
rewards at the end of the age. She's talking about valuing the, the system of the heavens versus valuing the systems we of make the earth. It, we instantly um, individualize but, it. But we make it, we individualize it, and we make it about our yeah. blessing, but then we futurize it to say, it's okay, coming. so all of the big things I'm giving up totally. for Jesus. Like, I, I believe, I just believe that, um, that he presents us with a way to be human that is the best way to be human out of our brokenness. And that, and that, doesn't, that doesn't negate our continued brokenness and our struggle to flourish and none of those things. But it gives things. hope within it. But absolutely. And, and it gives us a place to aim. And if you believe, like I do, that Jesus is actually partnering with us in the process through his spirit, then... Um, to me, I'm not occupied by all the things I'm missing. I'm occupied with um, how how cleaner the air seems yeah. to be. It's so much more you compelling. Know? I could, like when you break down. So I was thinking while you were talking, I was thinking about her question and how I would have tried to have answered it 20 years ago. And oh, you know what so I mean, good. though. Like yeah. in in just being unable to authentically answer it because I don't know how to like quantify hell and judgment and what's what, like, you know, we always joke around about um, boys and youth group and, and the number one question was always, you know, how far is too far Yeah. based on like sexual interactions with girls or whatever. And we like it was, but that even that question is based in avoiding punishment. It wasn't a conversation to yeah. talk about what a healthy sexual ethic looks like. It was a conversation about what right. can I get away with and still be okay, and so you're you're living yes. in like a your posture is just always in a looking over your shoulder, and then looking over everyone else's shoulder to see where you stand in regards in relation to the other people around you. Like, are they doing better than me? Are they are they more along the the Jesus line than I am? And but instead, I can honestly say for the first time in my life, like the this idea of human flourishing and this idea of um <coughs> of jesus and god seeking to you know redeem humanity and the role that we play in that i find that really compelling and like really hopeful yeah. and when i look at the world and yep. i think about how that means when it, it pushing against selfishness looking out for my neighbor looking for those in need i think that's all really compelling stuff and now if when i get asked that kind of question I can say it with like an assuredness that 20 years ago I could not have mustered up. And I'm so thankful for Absolutely. that. When I like so you and I both taught on Easter and so right around that time yes. Easter stuff was popping up and there was all that kind of like what we used to call 20 years ago when I would give these talks at camps like the gory and the glory of the cross. Like you do one night that's just mm. about all the lashes that he took and like you try to like emotionally manipulate kids into a position where they feel vulnerable and they feel shameful yeah. so that you can deliver yeah. a redemptive story the next night. And I just, I, even now, like I'm cringing so hard just thinking about the things that I said out loud to so many kids, but what, how I, how I would address that now, how I would present that now. Oh man, what a, it would be, it's, it's, it's literally upside yeah. down. Like it's completely different. Yep. And it's the same quote unquote faith but my understanding of it now is so dramatically different and so hopeful and so encouraging and i you know i just i really i don't know yep. i find it so much more than i ever thought it was in the first place and i'm so thankful for that hey man dude that's so good yeah i couldn't agree more tim well said i just think that if the answer is i'm only following jesus to avoid being punished then I, I I would just encourage you to stop following Jesus because um, you're not following Jesus at that point. You totally. know what I mean? And 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 go do your thing. Go do it and see if that's the better yeah. way to live. Go. I mean, go for it. Jesus Jesus isn't up there. And he's not even up there. He's all around us. Jesus isn't out there looking at the world, going, guys, really. I, there's this, there are these, these rules I really want you to live into. And, and I mean, there are rewards for those. And, uh, and, and I'm really pissed if you don't, I mean, can you, if, if Jesus is any, in any way, shape or form, like Jesus is presented in the Bible, 
and that the God who created the world is like the God revealed in Jesus, surely the best that God can do isn't, hey, get this freaking right or you're toast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come, I mean, what, what? There's your holy toast it's right just, there. It's, it's maniacal. Yes, that is a reference to a future interview that we'll be doing. I just looked into the future and that's what I found. Yeah, you did. Yes. So, so I just, yep. I, I just think I, I feel so badly for people like that. I used to be one. And, um, and I feel so badly for the Christianity that introduces them to that way of thinking about God. Now, do I think judgment is real? Dude, totally. And there will be an accounting. Absolutely. But there are so many other ways to conceive of this beyond a judicial guilty or innocent yeah. verdict that that I just don't I, I just don't think that that what the Bible's primary concern is about is what happens and when thank you thank God. Die. Thank God that God is bigger than our imaginations. God's bigger than the boogeyman. I've told you, well, bro. I wouldn't go that many far, times. but I'm just saying he's bigger than our imaginations. The boogeyman, though? So, so ladies and gentlemen, happy 400th episode. Maybe maybe for you, this is number 53. Or number two. I mean, maybe great job one. getting through that. Maybe this, maybe is, this is the first, first one. And last episode. In which case... Welcome and goodbye. Maybe they haven't even <laughs> made it this far. Maybe they, they, they went for that Seth intro and it was so like, what? nope, he isn't here, so I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Anyway, we are deeply grateful to, to God uh, for allowing us to do this. I'm grateful to Tim for being such a great, faithful partner. Um, and, um, man, grateful for we have a leadership team, and we've thanked all the folks um, by name on occasion. Uh, but it, this has just been a wonderful thing we never saw coming. And what a joy to grow and learn together. Thank you for the incredible insights, references. You guys, you guys do a lot more than you realize. Yep. So thank you. Uh, so this is Sky and uh, on the future of the church. And um, he, you can find him online, Sky <laughs> how do you? So he's ethnically ambiguous. So how did you refer to yourself? Ethically ambiguous? Ethically ambiguous. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyway, hope you enjoy. Thanks, guys. All right, Timothy, count us in. We're recording, bud. Oh, crap. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> in honor of our 400th episode, we brought back the star of our 200th episode. Is that right? Was it 200? Because it was four years ago. Yeah, that's I right. Was, I think it was 200. Yeah. yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, this is our friend Sky. And uh, Jitani, his name means he who is beautiful. And <laughs> Sky and I went to, as we've co commented before, we've, we went to Miami University together. He was a couple of years older than me. Who else and, was on recently uh, that went to? And I had the way higher grade point average, I'm sure. Who else was, was just on What was your degree Miami? My degree was in comparative religion and history. Nice. I had a finance degree. What was yours? Finance. I had, a, I had a minor in philosophy, which with that, finance and philosophy. Do you know? Wow, Ninjay Gupta went to Miami too. Did you know that? That's Did who he? it was. We had. I, I think we're trying to we're trying to get him on our show soon. I didn't oh, know that. We already had him, man. Just he's off the market. Sorry. Uh, do you know when he graduated? How long ago? He's younger than us. He is. He was a couple years after. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would say he's in the middle of us. So you're the oldest. NJ is in the middle. No, I'm in the no, middle. I, just stop. You, no one believes you. You guys all have the no same haircut too. Yeah. Um, you know, my oldest daughter is there and my son is going to be there next year. Oh my so goodness, dude. The legacy continues. Well done. Well done. Thank my you. son went to Wright State. And so that is definitely not the Miami of the Ohio. Yeah, but right they, state, wrong decision. Yeah, that's what they, yeah, except they, they're paying him to play soccer. So we're like, oh, right state, very right, right decision. money. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. My daughter's going to go to Western I, I actually, Kentucky. this is, 
this is so not why I'm here, but like I actually called the admissions department about my son. I'm like, hey, if I send him there, I'm gonna have two kids there at the same time. Don't I get some kind of discount? Oh, of course you what? did. No, I didn't. They said we took that benefit away. There's no longer a no. family discount for mo- yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. I mean, come on, Sky. You should get something. And the fact that you are a very famous alumni. Oh, I'm sure they're proud to own it. Yeah, you know, to yeah, identify yeah, yeah. With me. <laughs> I mean, let's let's just. I mean, for those of you that don't know Sky and that are relatively new to our podcast, first of all, you're probably here because you heard us on the Holy Post. But secondly, uh, Sky is the host of the Holy Post. He has a daily devotional that is I see retweeted. That's filled with insight in like kind of a cool artistic way. Author of books. Um, some say he is the second coming of Bob Ross <laughs> in terms of his uh, artistic ability. Um, no, some say, Wilson. some say that. Um, so, Scott, we're thrilled to have you, and we wanna we wanna quiz you on the topic of four years ago. And I love off air. Sky told us they went back and listened to that episode uh, where we I asked him, to. "Hey, Scott, what's what do you think the future of the church is going to be like?" And, and what stood out uh, from your answers uh, as you re-listened to that, where you were like, I'm not sure I got that one right. And, and you're right. This was pre, pre, pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. So no one saw that coming. Um, but what, you know, what, were the, what were the things that stood out about where you were on it and where maybe you weren't? Well, first of all, I learned from Donald Trump to never apologize or admit wrong. So Perfect. I am not I am not going to retract anything nope. that I said in 2019 on the 200th episode. I think I was entirely correct. Yep. Okay. Well said. Uh, but but I think there are some detail and nuance that we now have more mm. clarity on. Ooh, I so like that. if you guys recall, one of the big things we talked about was the polarization that we were already seeing in the culture. Yep. And we talked about how that polarization would be reflected in the church, Mm. that there would be one segment that goes more and more to the progressive left and the other side that goes more and more to the um, neoconservative fundamentalist right. And I think that's absolutely still true. I think now we have more clarity about what the right side of that polarization is going to look like. Mm. Um, Before I said on the left side, it was going to look a lot more like... um, acquiescing to the popular culture's view of sexuality and things like that. And that certainly happened. And I think the reaction on the right now we know looks a lot more like Christian nationalism, which wasn't Mm. fully on our radar back in 2019 in the way it is today. So um, I still stand by what I said, but I think there's just more detail and clarity than there was then. Mm -hmm. Would you say the culture war dynamic that had been, you know, present, um, has now, uh, made its way into the church to such a degree that we really can't tell the difference between the culture war outside the church and the culture war inside. Um, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I, th- I think there's sort of three stages of cool. how that damn right there are. Right. And, and if I could figure out how to alliterate them, there we'd have go. a great, Oh, you know, sermon. preach. Don't I, yeah, I, I haven't thought that much in advance. So I think the way it kind of begins is there are people within a church community who are super into the culture war stuff, but they primarily do that in their engagement outside the church community, right? Mm. It's in their political activism. It's in their social media activism. It's all that, but it's not in the church. That's stage one. Stage two, then, is they bring that into the church community, and it starts permeating their community groups, their small groups, the books they're engaging, the way they're reading scripture, all that. But in that stage two, the leadership of the church, particularly the pastor, whoever the main teacher is, is silent on it. They they know it's there. They may not even like it, but they're not going to talk about it. They're just hoping that this, the spirit will pass, right? Like it'll just, and, and I think we were in that second stage for quite a while. And we are now entering the third stage, which is, there's so much energy around this stuff among the people that pastors can no longer be silent and Mm -hmm. they are being forced to get explicit about what they were hoping to just Mm. allow to pass implicitly. Mm. And that explicit engagement means either they acquiesce and they actually begin talking about Mm. 
culture war, Christian nationalism in a, in a positive sense, like will they become an advocate for it in order to appease their people? Or if they're unwilling to do that, they will probably be driven out of the mm. church. So I think we're in that third stage now, which is really kind of creepy because what it's forcing leaders to do is redefine what their mission is and what even the calling of, of the church is. Right. And, and this is especially susceptible to those in evangelicalism because historically evangelicalism <laughs> has been a populist movement and mm -hmm. it, it thrives on giving the people what they want. Right. And now the people are saying, we want culture war. We want Christian nationalism, at least on the, the right side of the spectrum. And the pastor who doesn't offer that is not going to be tolerated. So right. I think that's where we are now. Mm. Yeah. That speaks a bit to my experience. The, um, I was shocked at, but not surprised at the vehemence around masks uh, vaccines mm -hmm. in the church community. I mean, that was, that was rough. Um, we had, we had a service where masks were required. We had a service where they were not, and still people were leaving and complaining. And, yeah. um, it was just an interesting, like, wow, I did, I really didn't know, um, how best to navigate those waters. Well, and that's a really good example because silence was not an option mm -hmm. on your part or the part of leaders. Compromise was not even really an Which option. Which is what we tried. Yeah. Right. So it became you were either with us or you are against us. Right. What other, whatever side they were on. And <laughs> and a leader is caught in the middle where, you know, you whether or not you define this as like a, a gospel issue or a mandate of the church to favor the forget masks, pick something even more innocuous. It's becoming increasingly intolerable to mm -hmm. tolerate anything right on that you don't agree with like so yeah. that's Light. really sad so i don't think that trend's going anywhere it's going to continue yeah so how so have you seen or do you have thoughts about how churches and leaders can navigate um between those between those temptations of acquiescence or you know becoming hardened in a um specific uh, predetermined category, either for or against. If you know what I mean, like so. We so saying nothing is not an option, mm -hmm. and then trying to um, harden either into anti or pro, whatever you know the issue is, and mm -hmm. then the church takes the shape of whatever ideology you know the issue represents. Do you see or have hope for other? uh imaginative means of navigating these waters no <laughs> it's a big I, I, lead up to that question yeah it was a very long walk yeah. but yeah. uh no i don't i mean here's the problem i think there are obviously incredibly godly wonderful leaders out there in different churches women and men who yeah filled with the spirit truly seeking after what god has for them and their communities and in any given place, they will seek his wisdom and come up with some uh, appropriate, with the help of others in their leadership community, they'll, they'll come up with wise solutions. The problem with it all is, even if you do all of that correctly, you will still be branded by other people as, oh, well, you're, you've sold out to one side or the other. Yeah. And so if your goal is, is trying to control what other people perceive you as, yeah. you can't win. Yeah. You just can't win. So, um, you know, going back to the masks thing, which is kind of behind us now, but it may be a good example. Here you are as a leader at your church, Mike, and you and your team come up with what is a compromised accommodation. Mm -hmm. And you may have done that with a great deal of prayer and engagement with people around, like all the right things. And yet some people are still going to look at you and go, oh, they, you know, they're puppets of Fauci or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. you can't, so there's no winning here. And so you have to then redefine what is a win. Mm. And that I would say you, you have to disconnect your ego, your sense of value and your definition of faithfulness. You have to completely disconnect that from how the people respond. Mm. And it has to be a clear conscience before God. Right. Right. Which I, is what, leader, what it should have been. The whole right. time. But and practically speaking, I mean, I'm not in that seat anymore as a pastor, but practically speaking, you, you're you trying to shepherd a community. Mm. And 
you know, if they ain't following, you ain't leading. And if a bunch of people go, I'm out of here, then you feel like a failure and you're not doing what you're called to do. And that's that's really incredibly painful and difficult. But um, if there is a way to navigate these cultural dynamics in a way that will maintain your congregation and make people feel like, oh, what a wonderful godly leader we have. I have no idea what that is. Yeah, I don't think there's a there's an obvious you're, there's going to be fallout mm-hmm. one way or another. And rather than picking which way do you want the fallout to go, we have to be centered on I want to have a clear conscience before God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is uh, that's a pretty big transition from the kind of church leadership we were raised in, which was you know the growth mindset and like attracts Mm -hmm. like and you know all the things and perhaps that's why uh so many church leaders seem to be giving up or feeling utterly alone and traumatized themselves in church environments totally i mean the data yeah the data on that is astounding right now about how old pastoring is becoming and how few young um pastors are in, even interested in the profession. Um, well, I think, I, I, I mean, there's obvious reasons for that, but I think one of the less obvious ones is I don't know what a pastor is anymore. Oh, come on. Like let's, it, ooh, let's talk about that. That's really like great. It, it, if a 20 year old student, you know, I live in my office right here is within walking distance of Wheaton college. If a 20 year old student came to me and said, Hey, I'm curious about pastoral ministry. What does that look like? Oh, that's so good. I could have answered that 20 years ago. Yeah. I don't know if I can answer it today. That's so good. Like, I'm not sure. And that, that's not all bad, but I don't know what it looks like. And yeah. I think there were people who got into it who are our age and early 30s. <laughs> right, early 30s. And the definition has so fundamentally changed. Oh. A lot of them are going, I don't know if I can do this. Oh, it's. Um, Maybe it was always yeah. about managing conflict, but it, it seems like it's just, that's the primary job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there was a lot of, uh, there's some great books that have been written about the church in the United States leading up to and during the Civil War. And, you know, one of the consistent findings is congregations and church leaders tended to have their viewpoints and theology defined by where their feet were, mm. right? If you were in, the South as a, as a white church, you know, you had a certain view of scripture, a certain view of, of slavery, a certain mm-hmm. view of all these different issues. And if you were in the North, it was a different view. And I, I, my suspicion is that's what's happening again, mm-hmm. where if you're in a predominantly blue community, in order to maintain that congregation, you're going to have to acquiesce to the values of blue America. And if you were in a predominantly red community, you're going to have to acquiesce to the values of red America. And mm-hmm. there's this, changing of the guard where there was a, a community of church leaders like you and I, Mike and Tim, who were like, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I don't want to do this. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. And eventually we will be replaced with leaders who are like, oh, I'm a blue pastor and mm-hmm. I'm a red pastor and they will know where they belong and they will figure it out again. And in a generation, as this gets flushed through the system, we will have red churches and blue churches. And I'm not happy about that, yeah. but I think that's probably what will end up happening. How do you think technology will play into this. I mean, we're yes. we're having massive conversations about AI. I don't have to write sermons anymore, which is great. I just say, <laughs> say chatbot, give me a sermon. I mean, I used to have to go to sermoncentral.com um, or freesermons.net, and now I just get them, I get them pre-written. I mean, how do you see technology? Because certainly the pandemic... Um, either accelerated or reinforced trends that were already happening about participating online rather than, you know, in embodied community and so on. But where do you see technology taking us? Um, you're, I'm doing this on the fly. I didn't prepare any of this in advance. So let me see. Hold on, Sky. Hold on, Sky. We know you're smart. Okay. We trust the fly. We trust the fly. Go on the fly. Okay, so I think AI will do to intelligent communication what pornography did to sexual intimacy. Oh. Oh! If that's on the fly, that's on the fly. So, um, <laughs> say more. You know, obvi- 
so as sexual creatures, we have a desire for sexual intimacy and there's a design for how that is to be fulfilled. And, you know, we may disagree about some of the details of that, but it's supposed to be from a Christian point of view in within the covenant of marriage and intimacy, intimate uh, monogamy with another person with whom we share our whole life. That's where the, you know, sexual fulfillment is supposed to happen. But along comes internet pornography. And it allows for an immediate gratification of that desire in a substandard way. Mm. And it ends up doing harm then to the genuine form of sexual intimacy that we are created for. And you can look at different statistics, especially around young people, you know, fewer of them are dating, fewer of them are having sexual relations inside or outside of marriage for that matter. Places like Japan, they're not even having children anymore. People aren't getting like it's, it's completely disrupting the human biological expression of sexuality because there's this uh, facsimile, this fake alternative that's now widely available in, in, in a device in everyone's pocket. Likewise, we have this need for intelligent communication, for thoughtful engagement with ideas. And, and we used to um, you know, gather around a theologically trained person like a pastor to help us understand the scriptures and apply it to our community. And, you know, we, we did all that, not just in disembodied ways, but in incarnate community mm -hmm. and AI comes along and makes it so much easier and cheaper to get that content, but it's not an actual incarnate human mm -hmm. through whom we are getting it. It's just this algorithm or this bot online. And I fear that it will be wildly attractive because of its convenience and it will erode the depth that and meaning that real human communication is intended to supply us mm. so i think it will profoundly lower the the cost and and entry point for quote unquote christian content mm -hmm. And that will take away yet another reason for people to be engaged in a local church. Mm -hmm. Now, the upside of that is the more artificial something becomes, the more valuable the genuine article becomes as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, my hope is that as sermons and Christian content, all that stuff becomes ubiquitous and available instantaneously for anybody anywhere, there's more desire for genuine Christian community. And the church becomes more and more centered around <clears throat> that rather than hearing one person lecture for 30 or 40 minutes in a pulpit. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the silver silver lining in it all. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of you, changes the conversation around the sermon centric model that was already being had. Right. And now it's just accelerated to a different or it's got a whole different like <laughs> ornaments hanging on it. It's right. Interesting. Yeah. Because we see yeah. that a lot in the classroom because now we have to like proofread papers for plagiarism. And now we have to proofread for the chat GPT. This is a whole new feature, but it's hard to catch because it writes in plain language. You have to like know the, the text that the kids would be using because it still struggles with pulling text in correctly. And so it'll make up examples if it can't find examples. And right now it's the only clear indicator if you're just reading it with your brain and your eyes that you see... You know, really? any discrepancy. Yeah. Cause it comes out really clean. Yeah. So, so well, I get it. Oh, go well, ahead. Go ahead. Well, it's like apply that to the pulpit then. Yeah. Like it, it used to be, well, I want to go to this church because the, the, the preaching is, you know, has this excellent, thoughtful, intelligent, whatever. Um, or I listen to, you know, pick your celebrity preacher, Tim Keller or whatever, because he's so brilliant. Well, I could go to chat GPT right now and say, give me a Tim Keller-esque sermon yeah. on whatever passage of the Bible I want, and I can get up in the pulpit and do that. So why am I, what's the, yeah. it, I think it shifts from, well, anybody can give this excellent sermon now or present this excellent content. So why do I care about this church? Hopefully it's because, well, no, it's the, the, the pastor actually loves me mm -hmm. and cares and there's a relationship. So it shifts from just measuring everything based on the quality of the content to how about the character of the community and yeah. the leadership and all that. So it, I'm hopeful that that might be one of the outcomes, but we'll see. Yeah. yeah. Did I read, that, Mike, did I send you, can I just read this real quick? Cause this, I, this conversation is happening all the time. And um, so they took, you guys are, do you guys know who Nick Cave is? Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds musician. Yes. Um, great old English poetic um, singer songwriter and he so he will interact with his fans on his website and they brought somebody did a chat gpt thing to write lyrics they're like write me a nick cave song 
and it wrote this song that was dealing with all these topics and it sounded like it. And so someone asked him about it and this was his response, but this is how I feel about it in general. I think it applies to the church situation for sure. Maybe I, maybe AI can make a song that's indistinguishable from what I can do. Maybe even a better song. But to me, that doesn't matter. That's not what art is. Art has to do with our limitations, our frailties, and our faults as human beings. It's a distance we can travel away from our own frailties. That's what is so awesome about art, that we, that we deeply flawed creatures can sometimes do extraordinary things. AI just doesn't have any of that stuff going on. Ultimately, it has no limitations. So therefore, it can't inhabit the true transcendent artistic experience. Mm. It has nothing to transcend. So I thought that was that idea of like so much of what's good about humanity will often come from the struggle or, or dealing with that kind of stuff. And you lose that immediately with mm-hmm. these kind of but formed things. Tim, how do we know that what you read wasn't created by AI? It's a great question. Dang. Uh, Dang. We're just going to be enslaved by technology and then someone named Neo is going to come and save us all. That's right. The real real challenge of AI is it's forcing us to ask the question, what does it mean to be human? Yeah. And yeah, it's, oh, it's fascinating. It's really, really fascinating. And, um, And if the church doesn't have a genuine response to that, we should just go home. Close the doors. Take your ball right. and go home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to shift topics a little bit to the the Me Too movement, the exposing mm-hmm. of so many uh, corrupt or corrupted individuals and systems and structures that we've been seeing over the last several years, and then the 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 re engaging of the gender wars. Um, in the complementarian, egalitarian, you know, circles. How do you see the the future of the church playing out when it comes to men and women leading together? <sighs> um, I I don't think there's one future. Um. I think what we're seeing is that there is a sizable portion of what had been American evangelicalism that is saying that is being increasingly convinced that the scriptures advocate for an egalitarian approach where people are installed in leadership based on their maturity and gifting rather than their gender. And then there is a reaction to that for various reasons, some better than others that are saying, no, 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 no. We need to maintain the complementarian, strict complementarian point of view, which is, you know, male authority and leadership only. Mm-hmm. And it's, so it's going in both directions at the same time. I think what's changed is there for a long time, there was a general uh, widespread willingness to tolerate the other side. It mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't seen as a salvific level issue of disagreement. And increasingly yeah. it is, it is yeah. intolerable to have someone with another point of view share fellowship with you. Right. And that is what's changed. Mm-hmm. So like so many other things, there's no, there's no ambiguities anymore. There's no mystery. There's no gray. There's no uh, graciousness mm. on either side. So it's, I, we're seeing it. The Southern Baptists and other groups, like you are on one side or the other and right. that's it. Yeah. So again, it's that death to, um, the ego wanting to be approved of by all factions. That's just simply not right. Which, and and gives, I mean, I guess it gives credence uh, a bit to the way Jesus was seen in his culture war, you know, um, the different factions and why they would oppose him, um, seems to speak to, Oh, okay. Well, that's not, that's not new. Um, if you're going to try to, if you're going to try to be word made flesh, um, opposition's part of the, part of the package, but in the church, man, Sky, I just think you're so right. We've been used to the growth mindset that everything we do is great, accepted, liked. And, uh, when there's massive amounts of pushback, um, where do you see, where do you see sexuality in the conversation going? So, so, um, the beautiful union book that came out by Josh Butler. Um, it, the book's out now and people are, you know, still processing and reacting, but 
from Josh's perspective, this was a, a good faith attempt to articulate the attractiveness of uh, God's vision for sexuality. And, um, and even in the church, I mean, that's not being received well. How is so? I'm finding that that the same dynamic you're identifying in either acquiescing or hardening um, is at play in how we talk about sexuality. But where do you see all of that going? Is it the same thing that we're just trapped into this endless cycle of one side or the other? Do you feel like there are places where Christians can articulate a compelling sexual ethic in ways that the others in the church might find compelling? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, gosh. You're really asking me to step into it now. Um, so <laughs> it's on the fly. I, it's all the disclaimer. All, it is, on the fly. This is on the fly. I was, I was not prepared for this topic at all or any of the others we've discussed. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I, so here, here's, let me complicate the question. Oh, Perfect. So, you know, we tend to think about these things on a, on a spectrum, you know, and it's complementarian or egalitarian or, you know, whatever. And one, you're on one side or the other. Mm -hmm. I think there's actually four quadrants here. In other words, there's, there's a Y axis and an X axis. Dude, hell yes. We're the Gen <laughs> X axis, baby. That's right. And the Gen Y axis so, could. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so there, there, there definitely is a complementarian, egalitarian. Let's pre present that as the X axis, right? Yes, right or left. Yes, but yes. then there's this Y axis, this vertical axis. And what that for me is, is there are some people who hold a, a very high view of, of sexuality in, or gender, you know, in general. Like it's, it's a significant, if not primary lens through which they interpret everything. Mm. Right, it's through which they understand the gospel. They see, they read the Bible. They look at society. Everything is through that male, female, sexuality, gender, all that stuff. And then there are people for whom it's lower. Yeah. It's there, but it's not a primary lens through which they see things. That's good. And I think one of the errors that Josh Butler fell into, or what his critics. Uh, I mean, people are arguing with him about right and left kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And my bigger critique would be, I just think he holds a much higher importance, the lens of sexuality than I do, mm. or than that scripture does. Mm. And so it's a little bit like, wow, this is getting me in trouble, Mike, you're getting me in big nope, trouble. It's never. a little bit, it's a little bit like the race or culture thing, Ooh. right? Race is a real thing, at least in a sociological sense, not a genetic one, but in a sociological sense, culture ethnicity is a real thing and it's in scripture is it the primary way we are to see ourselves or other people hmm. i would argue no hmm. it's a way that we need to acknowledge identity but it's not the identity hmm. or the lens through which we interpret everything so I, I think that's the other side of this it's not just what view do you hold of women in leadership or what view do you hold of gender and sexuality it's how highly do you hold it hmm. And that's the other part of disagreement. And I think a lot of the mm. energy on the right, it's not just that they're holding to a complementarian view or a patriarchal point of view or whatever. It's that there's a sizable group of people on the right who are saying sexuality, you know, the council for manhood and womanhood and all that kind of stuff, uh, the transgender arguments, all like gender is primary to the way we understand ourselves in the world and even God and the gospel. And I'm going, it's a way mm. we should understand people in the world, but it's not the way. And I'm not going to break fellowship with somebody over. Does that make sense? Like it's uh, not. Absolutely. So for me, that's the, that's my bigger beef is I think his book and I haven't read the whole thing, but it, it's elevating that as a as such a significant lens beyond what I think scripture does and beyond what historical mm. theology does mm. that it ended up getting him into some hot water then on the right-left axis right. where people mm. started freaking out. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Tim, what do you think about that on the fly? I thought that was all right. It was pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll keep it in. Um, <laughs> Sky... <laughs> Uh, before Wait, we I have one more, can I ask one more question before we cut it? Yes. The um, so on your on the Holy Post last week at the end of the news segment, you guys are having a conversation, and Caitlin had this beautiful response about how 
we should be trying to, I'm going to butcher this, but try to make a difference in the world, even if we don't think that we can, that we should be active and going out there. And you had a follow-up on how that relates to prayer. And I was wondering, if, do you remember that enough to like, could you reiterate yeah, some of that? Because what I'm thinking about what you guys are talking about with the church um, and how the church, uh, how it will exist going forward. So in light of all that kind of stuff, I thought that response fits in here with how there's a posture in which you both framed that. So you framed it through prayer. She she framed it through kind of like action and involvement in your communities. How that, because um, we last week we were talking about the church that bought up like the medical debt and paid uh-huh. off all, all that. And so there's a church intervening in this very specific way that was very tangible and helpful to a to a group of people and also set a really beautiful precedent of something that the church could do in an active way. So could you reiterate something just as like a, a hands and feet in prayer kind of way of being able to <laughs> see the church in the future? Yeah. Um, I, I think too often because of our modern place in history and the way we bifurcate everything, uh, we tend to think of prayer and action as in some ways in opposition to each other. Yeah. You know, it's Mary and Martha. One is active and serving and one is sitting at Jesus' feet. And, right. and I think that's a completely false dichotomy. Action is prayer because if we are doing it in communion with God and his spirit, then he is cooperating with us in that action. It is, it is prayer. I mean, and prayer is action. So look at the life of Jesus. He was very active. He healed people. Mm-hmm. He proclaimed the good news. He, he preached parables and, and sermons and he fed people like all that action happens, but then he goes away for a night a week, 40 days in, alone to be in communion with the father. Was he any less in communion with the father when he was actively healing people? Of course not. It was prayer because it was in communion with the father. So when we have opportunity to act, we need to act in communion with God. And when we, for some reason, don't have the ability to act because we're excluded or we don't have power, whatever it might be, well, then we we pray, but we are in communion with God and acting through prayer. So we got to lose this idea that it's one or the other. Like in this moment, do we pray or do we act? It's like, no, you do both all the time. Mm. And we have to have that more holistic approach to things. I think one of the reasons we struggle with that, particularly in white evangelicalism is historically white evangelicals have had so much access to power that they haven't needed prayer totally because their attitude is, well, we can make things happen the way we want. And as they're losing access to those cultural levers of power, they're freaking out, but I'm going, well, no, it just means maybe we have to change the, you know, the, the dynamic of prayer mm-hmm. and action, but it's all fruitful. It's yeah. all good. And, and you see um, tithing, there's no reason to lose hope. Tithing in the history or in recent history would kind of be what action had become. Like, I'll just give my money to the church, and then I hope that the church leadership will act upon some form or function in the community that makes sense. But now that we're seeing so many small home churches and small groups meeting, and that's how we meet, I am seeing this, like, you have a platform to be able to do both of those things in congruent, like, in tandem with each other, often in your community. And it's, there's a lot of, I don't know, I, I just think it's really encouraging and very hopeful way as as these more small groups are starting to pop up and form around the country and we get lots of emails about that that there's these yeah it's open it's like it's lowering the walls to allow for that prayer and that action to be this thing that they do because the they can i don't know it's just it's encouraging to see it kind of like catching fire and and moving in that way and i'm i'm seeing that too we're part of a small house church community thing as well and 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 if there's one to end this wrap it up like if i could eliminate for most of my Christian life. I've heard this dichotomy between B versus do it's that Mary and Martha thing. Again, the B versus do. I hate that. I think it's totally bogus and unbiblical. I would love to replace the B versus do language with the language of with or without. That would make a great book. It would be a great book. I did with, now I do without, but with or without means whatever you're doing, whether you are, actively engaging in some project in the world or you in prayer, are you doing it with God? Yeah. Are you in communion with him? And whether you are in solitude alone with your thoughts or you are 
outside engaged in, in activism in the world are you doing that without god because if it's without god then it's meaningless yeah. so it's it's with or without it's not be or do mm. and i hope we can embrace that more whatever the future holds um if you could identify one or two this is the last question one or two corporate disciplines to be embraced that you think are most important for our cultural setting these days um, and I'm thinking of things, lament or, you know, whatever. Um, what would you think are necessary to sustain the formation into Christ-likeness um, that'll help us navigate some of the waters we've just talked about? Well, the, the, the caveat of corporate discipline is important there, and that's, mm -hmm. that's harder. Um, yeah, I, I have not, I've not seen this, but I, Dallas Willard talked about is. how yeah, we love he him. talked about how, somebody asked him at one point, like, what are you, what discipline are you employing right now in your own growth? And he talked about the discipline of not having to be right. Oh, you remember that? Oh yes. Not having to have yeah. the last word, not having the last word. Right. That's that, that that's it. Um, I, I wonder what that would look like corporately. That's like, so what good. would it look? What would it look like corporately for a, a community of believers to get together and either invite someone in or even on a screen, just watch something that is not what they affirm or believe mm. and just listen oh. and not respond mm. and to stay together and say, we're not going to respond. We're mm. just going to like listen to someone share something for, I don't know, 15 minutes that you really don't like or agree with and then together just sit there in silence mm. for 30 minutes and after that 30 minutes then perhaps talk to one another mm. um, not react not respond not fly off the handle not tell that person why they're wrong not you know throw a scripture at them that justifies your point of view but to <laughs> just sit and tolerate something that you don't like or agree with mm -hmm and wrestle in silence. Mm -hmm. I think that might be really valuable. Um, and gosh, this sounds just, like this whole interview. <laughs> as, as you're biting your tongue. No, um, no, no. <laughs> Scott, I think that's really profound. If I were, if I were, I mean, that's a form of hospitality that we don't, mm -hmm. we don't ever practice. Our culture war dynamics prohibit all the ways of being a good host to the other. So I think that's so well said, dude. Um, I know, go ahead, last word. Uh, the story that comes to mind is about Gandhi. A woman brought her, her son to Gandhi who, and she said, would you please tell him to stop eating so many sweets because he won't listen to me, he'll listen to you. And Gandhi told the woman, bring your son back in a week. And all right so she left and brought her son back in a week and then gandhi said to him you need to listen to your mother and stop eating so many sweets and she said well thank you for telling him that uh why couldn't you have told him a week ago and he said because i was still eating sweets and i didn't have the moral authority basically to tell him not to if i was still engaging in it so um you know it's a it's kind of a cheeky story but there's a lesson in that to say um, we collectively as the church are asking our culture to tolerate us, to be um, patient with our views and our understanding of sexuality and our, our view of who is sacred and what is sacred or gender, whatever it is. We're asking everyone to be tolerant of us. Question is, how willing are we to be tolerant of those we disagree with? And until we begin to foster that willingness to tolerate things that we don't agree with, not affirm them just tolerate them to be silent to be hospitable until we practice that how can we go to the rest of the culture and say you need to be hospitable to us hmm. so that's all this is it's just we need to practice what we are preaching come on that was good well i'd call that a mic drop but <laughs> i'm still here so hey <laughs> Um, Sky, thanks, dude. I know you've got to oh, run. This is great. I'm so appreciative for you and for our friendship over the years and for your work in the world. And um, really, well, congratulations really to you guys on 400 episodes. Like, yeah. I listen almost, almost to every episode, and it, 
you guys are doing incredibly. Which ones? Which ones do you skip? I just want to know, like, per, just personally. <laughs> speak. I skip truth. all the. I skip. I skip all the ones when you don't have a guest, and it's mostly you talking, Mike. Yes, <laughs> perfect. No, I don't. Perfect. Like the stuff you've been doing on Revelation has been great. I've loved it. Oh, um, you, are. you just had Gombus back on again. Freaking He's always nice. thought provoking. Um, no, you. I, I. Yeah, and there's got to be more ways for Holy Post and Voxology to do stuff together because oh. uh, I feel like there's obviously overlap in what we do but you guys bring so much more bible and heavy hitting like theology into the conversation than we typically do i'm like oh, it just scratches my itch i love it i love it dude well thank you that's very kind of you we love what you do thanks for your time today bro appreciate you all right congratulations guys thank you thank you thank you for listening to this conversation Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on instagram at voxology thank you thank you thank you for walking the long road with us